Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Ezekiel chapters 1 through 4. Woohoo! Ezekiel. I love this book. Rabbit Trails. Ezekiel's Hebrew name means the strength of Yahweh or strengthened by Yahweh. In Ezekiel 1-3, we read that Ezekiel is the author of this book. Bet you saw that coming. The book of Ezekiel gives us prophecies about two huge feature events, the second coming and all that entails, and the millennial kingdom. We're going to read about the second resurrection and also get a glimpse of what the millennium will look like. We will also read a detailed account of the third temple, how we will worship Yahweh at that time, and the continuation of Yahweh's appointed times. Did you know that all the appointed times will be observed when Messiah returns? We will get that from the Father's mouth in this book, just as we have in others. All the more reason to practice them now. Ezekiel is sometimes divided into three parts. The prophecies against Israel are found in chapters 1 through 24. The prophecies against the nations in chapters 25 through 32 and the prophecies about Israel's future in chapters 33 through 48. And y'all, some major prophecy concerning us in particular is going to be found in this book. Major, earth-shaking, and life-changing. One phrase we will see a lot, so keep a lookout for it, is, They shall know that I am Yahweh. This is found in passages where justice is brought about and punishment is being meted out but also with regards to his people being restored and his blessings being manifested. They shall know that I am Yahweh. The sooner we realize and acknowledge that in both thought and deed, the better that statement will sound to us. About visions. We're going to see some strange language in some of Ezekiel's descriptions of his visions, just as we see strange language and descriptions in other future predictions in the Bible, such as Revelation. Something to keep in mind is that these people were living in their time and seeing the future that is actually ahead of where we are now. Imagine living in the time that Messiah physically walked the earth and seeing a helicopter, an atomic bomb, an airplane, a car. How on earth would you describe something like that with no frame of reference to compare it to? You would describe it the best way you can. Thus, phrases like, like a wheel within a wheel, came about. As strange as these descriptions may sound to us, imagine trying to explain what the future, let's say 2019, looked like to someone who lives in 300 BC. And now, Imagine that you have no idea what you're actually looking at to begin with. This was Ezekiel's lot. It's interesting then to read how Ezekiel describes something in his vision and close your eyes and try to imagine it as he described it, while mentally doing an inventory to see if there's anything in our modern times which might fit that description. My sister, who takes some of the farthest reaching rabbit trails I have ever seen, specializes in comparing futuristic visions described in the Bible to events today. 
She has some mind-blowing insights on this, but I'm warning you, don't ever get her started unless you have all day to do additional research and want to spend a few sleepless nights with your mind racing. This is yet another example of the disadvantage we have when approaching Scripture with a modern Western mindset. Culture and context are absolutely key when it comes to understanding the authors of the Bible, and yet, here we are, outside of both. We will see this especially come into play once we begin reading about Messiah, because at that time, we're going to talk about the cultural practices of the Pharisees and other peoples of the time and how they conflicted with Messiah's teaching. There were many key events which make much more sense once we put them back into context and step back to look at the culture in which they took place. One quick example of the importance of culture in understanding a moment or gesture properly is that in some countries, it's considered polite to burp after a meal, while in some, it is very rude. So imagine the disadvantage of someone coming from a country where it was polite and they burped after your meal without realizing that you might actually be offended rather than feel the compliment as it was intended. The difference in understanding culture is night and day, and in many cases, with regards to the Bible, has eternal ramifications. So we're going to go there. We're going to walk into that room and turn on every light we possibly can. Diving into the reading. I'm not going to get into theories about what Ezekiel might be seeing in his visions of the future, possibly our time, but I figure some will do that in the comments, and I look forward to reading your comments. Remember, though, it is more important to know the prophecy than to know other people's interpretation of the prophecy. Why is this? So you don't miss it should the Father fulfill that prophecy in a way which you did not expect. Side note. If you aren't coming back and reading the comments in the group each day, you're really missing out on some choice meat to chew on. Ezekiel 2.2 I love the image of the Holy Spirit immediately causing him to do what the Father commands. Doesn't this bring to mind the new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit causing us to obey the Father's commandments? Isn't it crazy that the world has convinced so many in the body of believers That to seek to obey Yahweh is legalism? A great deception. And we've not only fallen for it, most of us have taken part in spreading it. I know I sure did. If you find yourself asking, why does Christy harp on this so much? Start looking out for references to this in Yahweh's word and ask yourself, why does Yahweh harp on this so much? In chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, it reads, And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, Son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. The thing that keeps jumping out to me is the phrase, repeated more than once, and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. 
Man, this is a gut punch to me. We have such unprecedented access to the Word of Yahweh, more than any other generation before us. We have it literally in the palm of our hands. We have every translation, even access to the original Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, depending on the book. We can have it read to us by a myriad of narrators based on our mood. We can have it emailed to us, texted to us. We can carry it in our pocket, in our purse, and the old-fashioned way, in our hands in book form. When we have such access to His Word, to not do as He says, to not know it, to not study it, to not obey it, regardless of whether or not we have put in the time to study it, that is us refusing to hear. The words are there. The Father has handed them to us just as surely as Ezekiel was handed that scroll in chapter 3 and told to eat it. But we have turned our face from it. We have shook our head and refused to hear the word of the Father. And once we get to a point where this sinks in and we realize it, the grieving sets in. As we come to understand what we've done, what we've missed, and how we've grieved our Father. I will be forever grateful for the Father for leading me to repentance, loosening the scales from my eyes, and guiding me through His book so that I could have the relationship with Him that He intended. Even so, I know I'm still getting there, so every day is another opportunity to get up, put my running shoes on, and chase after Him. Regarding speaking His truth to others, we should be careful not to take this as a license to treat the word of Yahweh as a hammer with which to beat someone upside the head with. The Father is working on all of us, and I can tell you that many a zealous believer has seen the light only to use it to knock the daylights out of someone else. Remember the grace the Father has shown you. Remember the road you've been on and how long that journey has been. Each person you encounter is on a similar journey. I liken it to a garden. The Father has planted the seeds, but we have no way of knowing where someone is in their growth. Only He does. They may be a newly sprouted seed, a tiny plant, a full bush about to bear fruit. How then do we behave towards them without this knowledge? Simple. Treat everyone in line with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See Galatians 5, 22-23. If we do this, no matter what stage of growth they're at, we will leave them fertilized, nourished, and better off than when we found them. If we do not treat them in a manner in line with the fruits of the Spirit, we risk poisoning the very soil the Father planted them in. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, we see that we bear responsibility for the consequences that others meet when we ourselves do not obey the Father. So if the Father calls us to teach someone and we do not, and they are led astray due to lack of teaching, we're both responsible. Likewise, if we end up leading them, unbeknownst to us, and by following our example, they go astray. And truly, that scenario happens far more often than we realize. Matthew 5.19 comes to mind when I read things like this. It's a little different, but still relevant and related to this passage. Another interesting passage is Ezekiel 3.20, where we read about a righteous man. Now, this is a righteous man in Yahweh's eyes, 
So that tells us that Yahweh counts him as righteous. But we see him turn away from the Father, commit injustice, and then his righteous deeds are erased in Yahweh's eyes. Remember this. This is just one of countless Bible passages that contradicts a popular errant doctrine today. Remember, the errant doctrines are always the most beloved. There are other passages in the Bible like it, and the Father himself speaks to this on many occasions. There is a difference between grace and mercy, and when we willfully abuse our Heavenly Father's kindness, we better hope he's feeling merciful because we just threw his grace in the mud and danced on it. Now, this Ezekiel laying on his side thing. I spent a lot of time in the past turning that over in my mind. I imagine the effect would be rather like that of Gandhi's hunger strike. People would start talking about it, coming from near and far to see him, asking him the meaning, and then talking about it even more once he told them. However, he was also instructed to cook his bread and such, and he still had to go to the proverbial powder room from time to time, which most likely demonstrates that he wasn't constantly on his side. Still, we are flat out told that each day is symbolic of a year, and so that also tells us that each day is an actual day. They are already symbolic of longer time frames, so they in and of themselves are literal, not symbolic. We end chapter 4 with the reference to the now famous Ezekiel bread. If you'd like to try the modern version of this, it's usually available in the freezer section of most grocery stores, or you can get a recipe online and hunt down all the ingredients. It may be quite the hunt. We also see Ezekiel declaring that he will not defy the laws of Yahweh regarding food as found in Leviticus 11. Note that while Ezekiel doesn't mention not eating unclean animals in his response, that doesn't mean that he ate them. For a commandment-keeping Jew, the prospect of eating pork would be as far from their mind as the thought of us eating cats, dogs, and rats, which are also forbidden as food to us. Whew! So why did Yahweh command Ezekiel to cook his food over human dung, thus making it unclean? This was to demonstrate how utterly disgusting Israel was in his eyes at this point. And it would surely have been a horror, as Ezekiel demonstrated in his response. However, even though Israel was unclean through their own actions in Yahweh's eyes, he honored the desire to remain clean in Ezekiel and showed him grace in allowing him to remain so. Remember, we're only clean through the grace of Yahweh. Our faithfulness is an expected and righteous response to Him making us so. I'm excited to be here with you today and look forward to more time in the Word. Now, I need to give a little note here (laughs) about these podcasts. So when I started recording these podcasts, I had two groups going through the Bible. One was in Genesis and one was in Ezekiel. And so when I started recording each day, I would record a podcast for each group, knowing that eventually I would meet myself in the middle and complete recording the final podcast. This is it. (laughs) I'm so excited. I've worked so hard on this for months, and this is my 365th podcast. I'm done with a year's worth of Bible study podcast. However, having said that, tomorrow you're going to hear my very first podcast I ever recorded. And over the course of the next few weeks, you're going to kind of see me figure it out and uh, try out a few things, work out the kinks. Now, I thought about getting to this point and then re-recording all those earlier podcasts, but I have so many projects I want to work on for y'all. So I'm going to leave it be and rely on your grace. 
which you have so generously always been faithful in showing me. Thank you for that. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word, and may He bless you too. I love y'all. Bye-bye.